We're going to get into the teaching of the word today. As, as Val said, you guys can tell I am super excited about this teaching series. We are studying the book of Acts, and we have entitled the teaching series Torchbearers. And based off of Hawaiian tradition, right, there's Kalamaku in Hawaiian is the flaming torch. And in Hawaiian tradition, each generation takes the torch from the generation before them and carries on the heritage and the stories and the family lineage and all the things that have to do with Hawaiian culture. They are torchbearers. Well, as the Christian church, we believe that we are torchbearers, that the flame was lit on the day of Pentecost when the church was born in the book of Acts, and that that flame is still burning today, and from one generation to the next, the flame of the Holy Spirit, the mission of the church has been handed down from one generation to another. And so today, we as Kauai Bible Church are carrying on the same mission that we read about in the book of Acts. And that we should embrace the same responsibility, right? And so here at Kauai Bible Church, we say that we have a book of Acts DNA. Well, what does that mean to have a book of Acts DNA? Does that mean that we're just goofy Holy Spirit people? No. We are kind of goofy Holy Spirit people, but it goes so much deeper than that. So last week, we did an introduction to the book of Acts. If you missed it, go check out the podcast. Look for it on our website and get caught up. But today, we're going to move from the introduction into part one. And part one is we believe, right? We believe. We're going to look at what does it take to have a book of Acts DNA. And the first thing is we have to believe. And so if you have your notes, you can find your notes inside of your bulletin. If, uh, if you're watching the video, the notes are attached to the video. If you're listening to the podcast, the notes are attached to the podcast. And you can see in your notes, here's our big picture point today, is to have a book of Acts DNA, we must have biblical beliefs that inspire biblical behavior. Biblical beliefs that inspire biblical behavior. Who try to say that five times fast? Come on. That'd be a mouthful. And so today, really what we're going to do as we study the book of Acts is we're going to do a word study on the word believe. The word believe, because different variations of the word believe actually appear 39 times in the book of Acts. And as we're going to talk about, that belief is the foundation of behavior. And so what we believe is going to dictate how we act. And therefore, we've got to focus on what do we believe so that we can live as a people with a book of Acts DNA. So let's take a look at this. Now, the word believe, let's, let's get into the book of Acts and let's read a few of these verses. These are not in your notes, so you're just going to have to write these down rapid fire. Acts 4.4, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ... They were being baptized, men and women alike. Acts 11:21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 18:8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Acts 19:18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. What I want you to notice in all of these verses is that the believing led to something. 
right? It says they believed and they were baptized. They believed and they turned to the Lord. They believed and it says they kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. And what I love about that verse in Acts 19 is the next verse says that even the magicians, the local sorcerers, when they believed, brought all of their magic books and threw them in a pile and burned them all. Because their believing led to doing. And so this word believe in the New Testament is the Greek word pistevo. Pistevo. And obviously it means to believe. That, that's kind of duh. But what does it imply? What is the depth of the word? Because uh, the, the Greek language has such a greater depth than just simply the English language, than just applying a, a single English word to it. And so what does pistevo imply? Well, first off, it implies trusting. If I believe in Jesus, that means I trust Jesus. And in the trusting comes faithfulness. If I trust Jesus, then I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. I'm going to belong to him, and I'm not going to give myself to any other. I'm going to be faithful. It implies a certainty. I know, I am certain, I am confident that this is true. And ultimately, that trusting and that faithfulness and that certainty leads to obedience. Pistevo implies an obedience. And so therefore, I boil it down to this simple statement. Believing is obeying. Believing is obeying. And so to say we believe something means that we're going to obey it. So simply saying I believe in Jesus, anybody could say that. Real belief means you obey Jesus. Right? In John 3.36, Jesus said this. He said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. You notice that Jesus is using believe and disobedience as exact opposites. And so if believing and disobedience are exact opposites, that means that believing and obeying are synonyms. They're one and the same. Believing is obeying. Michael Dye, who is a uh, Christian addiction recovery counselor, he says this, every behavior, good or bad, is supported by your beliefs. Every behavior, good or bad, is supported by your beliefs. That means that everything that you do is driven by what you believe. Now, some of our beliefs are conscience, Right? Like we would actually declare, yes, I believe that. But a lot of our beliefs are subconscious. We don't think about it. We wouldn't tell anybody we believe that. But our behavior shows that we do. Because every behavior, good or bad, is supported by your beliefs. Right? So the way you forgive is dictated by what you believe about forgiveness. The way you worship is dictated by what you believe about worship. You know, how often you go to church is dictated by what you believe about church, right? All of these things, everything we do. But also, there's a lot of things that we can believe about ourselves. And some of those can be very negative, destructive things that we believe about ourselves that we would never tell anybody we believe that. But those beliefs lead to destructive behaviors, as we can make choices that derail our lives. Why? Because every behavior, good or bad, is supported by your beliefs. 
I just want to be real with you right now. I want to be transparent. I've been praying this week about sharing this publicly with the church. But I, uh, I love Twitter, all right? Some would say, some meaning my wife, would say that I was addicted to Twitter, okay? I just, I really liked Twitter. I, I used it primarily for my sports headlines, and so I love scrolling through Twitter to, to get caught up on everything that's happening in the sports world, and, and there are some other folks I follow on Twitter and everything like that. Like, I, I, I scroll through Twitter a lot. Well, call me naive, but I did not think that there was any pornography on Twitter, just simply because that's not what it's for, right? It was supposed to be 120 characters or less to share something. And then they expanded it to 240 characters or less. And then they expanded it to where now you could add pictures to it. Well, Monday afternoon, I'm on Twitter. And I click on the Chargers account because I follow the Chargers. And as I'm scrolling through the comments of one of the Chargers posts, all of a sudden there is this account that was just posting a stream of pornographic pictures. And as soon as I saw it, I froze. And I wish I could tell you that instantaneously I just threw my phone away and screamed and said no, but no, I froze. And in that moment that I froze, the flesh rises up. Right? And the lust of the flesh rises up. And there is spiritual warfare that is going on in that moment. And the flesh says, click on the account, Aaron. See how many more pictures are there. And I don't know how long I froze. Maybe it was one second. Maybe it was two seconds. It was too long, I'll tell you that. But I'm a man just like you guys. And I face these battles just like you guys. And I froze. And I looked at it. And then after a few seconds of that warfare that was inside of me, I turned it off and I walked away. Why? Because I believe some things. Because I believe that God can meet my needs more than pornography. Because I believe that the covenant that I made with my wife was, is for life. And that the covenant I made with my wife is to only have sexual encounters with her. And because I believe some things, and because I believe those things, I'm going to act a certain way. If I did not have those beliefs, I guarantee you, I would have clicked on that account, and I would have been scrolling through a bunch more pictures. What we believe dictates what we do. Now, the next night, I sat down with my family for accountability, and I told them, and I deleted Twitter off my phone, and I'm not going to use it anymore because I don't need those kind of temptations in my life. I don't need it. Every behavior is supported by our beliefs. So what does it mean to believe? It means our actions match what we say we believe. You can say you believe whatever you want, but do your actions match it? You see, believing is moving from intellectual acceptance to convictions of the heart, right? It's one thing, like you might be exposed to some information, you might hear something, and you might intellectually say, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's believable, right? But intellectual acceptance is only the beginning of believing. It is not believing. We do not believe until we move from that intellectual acceptance to a conviction of the heart. Right? What does Romans 10.9 say? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe where? In your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Belief happens when it moves as a conviction into your heart. Now, there's a recovery proverb. I learned this uh, way back in my days in rehab. But there's a recovery proverb that says this. The longest journey you will ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. The longest journey you will ever take is to move from intellectual acceptance to a conviction in your heart to say, I really believe this. And because I believe it, I'm going to act on it. Right? So another form of this Greek word pistevo is believer. Right? Believer. Let's go through some more scriptures in Acts. Acts 5.14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Acts 10.45. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a greek second corinthians six fifteen. or what harmony has christ with belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever let's talk about this word believer it does not simply mean that you can say i believe in jesus let's check this out believer in your notes says this one who accepts three things one who accepts christ as savior Scripture as truth revealed from God, and the way of salvation as unfolded in the gospel. If you're a believer, that means that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that you believe that all Scripture is truth revealed from God, that the Bible is our source of truth, and it reveals all the truth that God wanted us to know. And we believe the way of salvation as unfolded in the gospel, which means we believe in our hearts, that God raised Jesus from the dead. We confess with our mouth that he is Lord. We are water baptized. All of those things as the way of salvation is unfolded in the gospel. And then we have acted on it. We've accepted it in our hearts, and we have acted on it. All right? And so anywhere in the Bible where it refers to a believer, this is what it is referring to. Not just somebody who just says Jesus. No. It's somebody who has accepted it in their hearts and has acted on it. I was reading in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, and it was going through uh, different names that the followers of Jesus called themselves, especially in the book of Acts. And we might actually get into more of that next Sunday, but today I want to focus on the name Believer, that Believer was one of the names that they called themselves within the church. And, and this is what it said here. This is an excerpt from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It says, it meant not only believing as a mental activity, but total commitment of one's whole person to Jesus. Christians were called not merely to believe something, but to give themselves to someone. Right? To be a believer doesn't mean just that we believe something. It means that we've given ourselves to someone. And that someone is Jesus. 
To be a believer is to give ourselves wholly and completely unto the Lord. So here's what I want to do today. I don't know if I have time to do all of these, but I want to go through some vignettes. We talked about last week that the book of Acts is a series of vignettes that gives us an unfolding picture of the birth and the spread of the church. And so since the book of Acts is a series of vignettes, I wanted to look at a series of of vignettes as we look at this concept of believing leads to behavior. Believing is obeying. And and just see what we can learn from these early followers of Jesus as as the church was first being established. So let's check these out. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. If you remember last week, we left off in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus had told them, stay in Jerusalem and the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when it does, you will have the power to be my witnesses. And he said, so I just want you to stay, and I want you to wait. And then gravity lost hold of Jesus, and he floated up into the sky until he disappeared into the clouds as they were watching him. And then in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Why is this a big deal? Because they stayed in the upper room. Why did they stay in the upper room? Because they believed what Jesus told them. Right? These are the same people that when Jesus was arrested, scattered and ran for their lives. They dispersed Because their movement was over. Because everything they thought their movement was linked to was Jesus. And now Jesus had just been arrested and murdered. And they thought their movement was over. But then the resurrected Jesus appeared before them. And everything changed. But then Jesus floated up to heaven. He disappeared in the clouds. Jesus was gone again. And the only way that they would have stayed in the upper room is if they believed that even though Jesus was gone, the movement was still going. And that they were going to be a part of the movement. And because they were going to be a part of the movement, they stayed and they prayed. They stayed and they prayed. What they believed impacted how they acted. If they didn't believe, they just would have scattered again. But they stayed and they prayed for seven days, which may not seem like a very long time. But when you have no idea what's going to happen or when it's going to happen, seven days can be forever. Seven days they stayed and they prayed. Come on, I'm getting excited here. I'm not going to get through all of these, but we're going to get through some of them. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and Peter stands up and begins to preach. The first time that that we read about the gospel being preached here as the church is being birthed, and as he gets to the end of his sermon, we're in verse 32 of Acts chapter 2. 
And Peter says, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Right? So Peter is preaching Jesus, crucified and resurrected. And then in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Brethren, what shall we do? Listen. They heard the declaration of Jesus, and they believed it. And when they believed it, why do we know they believed it? Because it says it pierced them to the heart. When they believed it, their first response was to ask, what do we do? Because they had an innate sense to know that believing should lead to doing. And so because they believed, they said, now what should we do? Listen, if you're on a journey with the Lord and you're learning some new things or you're beginning to believe some new things as your beliefs are being transformed, one of the best things you can do is go to a church leader and say, what should I do next? That is a powerful question. Man, I would be thrilled if anybody came and asked me that question. Pastor, what should I do next? What should we do? What was Peter's answer? Repent and be baptized. And that's exactly what they did. And it says 3,000 of them that day repented and were baptized in water and were added to the church. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Because they believed, they were bold. Because they believed, they were bold. Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles had been gathered together by the Sanhedrin. And then Gamaliel said, let them go. If this movement is of God, we can't stop it. And if it's not of God, it'll disappear quickly. Just let them go. And so in in verse 40 of Acts 5, it says they took his advice, Gamaliel's advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Flog means they were whipped. They had all of these guys whipped. And then in verse 41, it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. I tell you what, the only way you can walk away rejoicing after somebody just whipped you is because you believe in something bigger than yourself. You believe in something bigger than yourself. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, was also called before the Sanhedrin. And they had drummed up false charges against him because they couldn't argue with him. They couldn't stop him from preaching the gospel. And so Stephen is standing before a council that has the power to order his execution. 
And they say, what do you have to say for yourself? And you know what he does? Starting with the book of Genesis and going all the way through to the days of King David, he challenged these men that every great man of God and every prophet that God had raised up, their forefathers had tortured and persecuted and rejected and murdered all the way up to Jesus. Until you get to verse 51 where he says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Who has the boldness to speak to a council who has the authority to have you executed? Who has the boldness to say these kinds of things to the council? Somebody who believes. That's who. And you know what? They did execute him. Right there on the spot. But even as they were killing him, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He believed. And therefore he spoke. Acts chapter 10. Peter goes into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. It was against Jewish law for Jews to go into Gentile houses and fellowship with Gentiles. And yet Peter violated Jewish law by going into the house of Gentiles, sitting down with them, and then preaching the gospel to them. Why? Because he had a vision from the Lord that said that the gospel was being opened up to the whole world. And he believed that the gospel was for the whole world, and therefore he violated Jewish law so that the gospel could go to the Gentiles. Listen, if you believe that the gospel is for the whole world, you're going to behave differently. Last one. When the jailer awoke, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, we are in Philippi. Paul and Silas are whipped and beaten and thrown into a dungeon. In that dungeon at midnight, they're worshiping the Lord, and an earthquake comes, breaks off their chains, and throws open the doors of the prison. The jailer... When he wakes up, verse 27, and sees the prison doors opened, he draws out his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourselves, for we're all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him all together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household, and he brought them into his house and set food before him. Listen, I'm willing to bet that the guy who was in charge of the prison was not a very nice guy. All right, they did not have humane prison policies like we have nowadays. I imagine this guy was not a very nice guy, but he believed, and suddenly he was a really nice guy. He was washing and dressing their wounds. He was inviting them into his home and bringing food to them and feeding them. He believed, and because he believed, he was transformed, and he became a different person. Believing is obeying. Believing transforms our behavior. We're out of time, Antonio, so I'm going to skip the next section. So we're just going to jump down to how can we change or strengthen our beliefs, right? If, if belief is this critical, what do we do? 
How do we strengthen our beliefs? How do we take that 18-inch journey from our, our head to our hearts? How do, we, how do we replace some false beliefs that are deep within us? Well, we do the same things that put those beliefs there in the first place. What do we know about beliefs? Well, first off, we know that they come through repetition, right? When we are repeatedly exposed to the same things, either hearing the same things or experiencing the same things, we believe those things. And so therefore, to to establish our beliefs or to get rid of a false belief and replace it with the truth is going to require repetition. We're going to have to work at this, right? If you believe something about yourself, you might have an awful lie that you believe about yourself. Or you believe that you're an ugly person. Or you believe that you're not smart enough. Or you believe that you're always going to fail. Chances are you believe that because at some point in your life you heard that. And you maybe heard it over and over again. Or the people you heard it from were the people closest to you. And so when they said it, it was so incredibly painful that it seared itself into your subconscious. And you believe it. Right? And so it came through repetition. Well, the only way to believe something new about yourself is to hear something new about yourself and to hear it over and over again in repetition. Are you guys following me? So the first thing is a repetition of truth. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Our faith is built by what we hear over and over again. So what does that mean? That means that we need to hear the truth over and over again for that truth to get deep into our hearts, and especially if it's replacing a false belief. So what does that mean? Number one, we need to surround ourselves with people who will speak truth into our lives. We need to be a church where we're going to hear truth spoken out loud. But it also means that we can be purposeful about speaking our beliefs out loud. Because the more that we speak them out loud, the more that we hear them, and the more that it's going to get into our hearts. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. So I'm going to encourage you, man, write down some truths and speak them out loud as often as you can. And get around people who are going to speak who you really are in Christ and draw that out of you. The more that we hear it, the more we're going to believe it. Take that a step further and do a repetition of Bible study. You want to believe something new? Then dig into the Bible and find out what the Bible really says about it. Not just the church tradition you were raised in, not just what you've heard, not just what culture is trying to tell you. No, what if we get into the Bible and find out what the Bible actually teaches on it? Acts chapter 17, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica who had threatened and rioted and tried to kill these guys. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them, what? Believed. Everything they heard Paul and Silas saying, they went back to the Bible to say, is this really in the Bible? And they studied the Bible daily. And then they believed. If we want to develop our beliefs, let's study the Bible, find out what does the Bible really say about it. Is there a controversial topic in culture? Don't just give in to culture because it's controversial. Let's find out what the Bible really says about it. 
You've got certain traditional beliefs about church just because you were raised in church a certain way. Don't settle for those. Find out what the Bible really says about church and what part you play in the church and and, and how important that is. First Thessalonians 2.13, we read this yesterday in our Rooted Bible reading. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The more you study the word of God, the more it's going to perform its work in you, and the more you're going to strengthen your beliefs and transform your beliefs. Study the Word of God. What does the Bible really say? Third one is a repetition of experiences. To believe something new, you're going to have to experience something new because a lot of our beliefs are based on experiences. And if those experiences were really traumatic, then it could just take one experience for that belief to catch on, right? Like if you have ever been attacked by a dog and you were severely injured because you were attacked by a dog, that could create a belief in you that dogs are dangerous. And even if it only happened one time, every time you're around a dog, you're vigilant, you're on edge, you're scared, you don't want to own a dog, you don't want to play with a dog, you don't want to be anywhere near a dog. If you're at a park, you want the dog to be on a leash. Because everything inside of you says that a dog is dangerous because you had that experience. So what's the only way you're going to change your belief about that? Is to start having experiences with dogs. To find out for the the most part that dogs are safe. And that dogs are friendly. And that you can have great experiences, right? You've got to have new experiences. And so if we're going to change our beliefs, we're going to have to have some new experiences. And if a lot of our beliefs are based on broken relationships or destructive relationships or bad things maybe we experienced in family relationships, then the new experiences that we're going to have to have is to find out that we can have life-giving relationships and healthy relationships and that we can have relationships with people that build us up. And that is why the church is so critical is so that we can be in relationship with one another so that we can find new experiences that's going to give us new beliefs that we can trust people and that we can move forward and that we can accomplish great things with people we got to have a repetition of experiences get around people get into a small group start opening up with people get new experiences and then finally is a repetition of god encounters A repetition of God encounters. The more you encounter God and his power and his presence, the more you're going to believe and the more your faith is going to be strengthened. Listen, when we read the book of Acts, we read these sermons that these men preached and then we see people responding to them and people believing. And we're just like, wow, it's just, they were just such gifted orators. They just could, could have such persuasive speeches. No, you know why people believed when these men gave these speeches? Because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And when these men were giving these speeches, it wasn't just their words that were impacting people. People were actually experiencing and encountering the presence of God through the Holy Spirit that was flowing out of these men. Look, Acts 4.8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
Acts 6.10, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with, with which Stephen was speaking. Acts 13.9, but Paul, who was also, Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on them and began to speak, right? People were not just encountering the words of the sermon. They were encountering the Holy Spirit that these men were filled with. And remember what we learned last week, that while Jesus was on the earth, people People experience the Holy Spirit through the presence of Jesus. But now that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, today we experience the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so if we are full of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is flowing out of us, then people are going to have God encounters simply from being around us. And that's why it is so important that we gather as a church and worship corporately as a church because we can have God encounters together, but then you can also have God encounters privately as you seek the Lord in your quiet time and in your private time. But the more that you encounter God, the more your beliefs will be strengthened and your behavior will be transformed. Let me have the worship team come back up today. So again, going back to our original statement, what was the point of this? Is that we must have biblical beliefs that inspire biblical behavior. So if we are going to live as a people that have a book of Acts DNA, if we are going to live as torchbearers that are carrying on the same flame that was lit on the day of Pentecost and that we are advancing the kingdom of God together. If we are going to live that way, it has to start with what we believe. And if any one of us, myself included, does an analysis of our life and says, you know what, the way I'm living doesn't look anything like the book of Acts. The way I'm engaging with the church doesn't look anything like the church in the book of Acts. The way I'm sharing my faith doesn't look like the book of Acts. If we can do an honest analysis of our life and say, I'm just not living that way, well, of course, you know, we could beat ourselves up and feel all guilty, or we could just blow it off and say, whatever, this is how I've always gone to church. But what if, instead of going to one of those two extremes, what if instead we said, you know what? I want to change the way I live. And therefore, I need to change the way I believe. So I need to get some false beliefs about myself, some false beliefs about the church, some false beliefs about being a follower of Jesus. I need to get those out of me. And I need to fill myself up. And maybe I need to get from those things that I believe in my head. I need to go on that 18-inch journey to my heart. Whatever the case may be, if our lives are not reflecting the book of Acts, are we willing as a people to change or strengthen our beliefs so that we can change our behaviors and we can be a book of Acts church? That's the challenge today. In fact, that's where I'm going to leave it.